That's good stuff. Praise God. Man, I'm glad y'all are here. I'm glad everybody tuned in tonight. I'm glad y'all are not <coughs> snowbound somewhere. But only in Texas could we go from one week to the next in an 85 degree swing, you know? <laughs> so the winter clothes are gone. Shorts you're trying to find. Hmm. I just want to share something with you tonight that I believe will bless you. Uh, so get your Bibles out. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. I'm really excited about Sunday's message because I want to get into preaching about the Titus effect. And uh, I believe it's going to change your life if you grab hold of it. But I'm not going to preach it tonight. I'll tease you a little bit, but I'm not going to get into it because I, I want to be have time to go through that whole thing. Uh, the Lord's really showing me some stuff, really uh, helping me in, in my own walk and to, to learn and to grow. And I, I just want to show you something here tonight, and I'm just going to share a few scriptures with you. So if you look here in, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, he, the, the, he says here, Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear least you seem to have come short of it. So he tells us that really the only thing that we really should be fearing in life is that we're not walking in the rest of God. But isn't it funny that that, that, that just sounds so strange because I see most people, they're not walking in rest. There's even my own times in my own life that I'm, I'm, I'm becoming anxious about something or why isn't God moving or why isn't this happening? And and I'm, I, I, if I was uh, rest, I mean rest, come on, rest. Rest is that, that state of just being in bliss, right? Should be. Depends on how you rest. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It should just be the, the place of, ah. And he says, we ought to be in fear if we're not in that place. So trusting in the Lord, so so just walking with him in such a relationship that we're not just like, oh, well, this is what the whole message that I'm going to be preaching Sunday on the Titus effect is going to help you get into. Because that's where we should be. We should be walking in this effect, this gospel affecting us in such a way that it brings us down to that every trial, every tribulation, every problem that arises, every circumstance, every situation, you walk through it in the power of the grace of God and just say, oh, okay, Lord, I, I can have joy. Now, that's the craziest sounding message in the world. But, you know, I never have like James 1. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials and temptations, right? I mean, I never have like that. I'm like, what kind of a yo-yo is trying to tell me to be happy when things are going wrong? Because when things are going wrong, I'm usually fighting it and I'm mad and I'm, you know, trying to push through, Right? And so this whole message that I'm getting into on the Titus effect is talking about not walking like that, but literally taking on this position of walking with God in such a way that when a trial comes, you're like, oh, okay, daddy, uh, how are you going to take care of this? And you're just going to have joy through the middle of it. Now, same thing here. It's talking about rest. 
We're supposed to be afraid that we're not walking right with God if we're not walking in absolute rest. Okay, so look what he says. For indeed the gospels preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So they could have had it, but they didn't mix their faith with it. They didn't believe in it. They didn't trust in it enough to walk in it. And so therefore they didn't have any rest. Am I right? And it goes back to this thing about works versus grace. Are we living our lives by works and we're trying to perform and our performance is all about what we're having, uh, 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 our acceptance to the Lord is because of our works and what we're doing or are we understanding what Jesus did for us on the cross to set us free from every scathing accusation that the devil could ever bring. And that we're right with him. And I believe most Christians are still wrestling with the fact, or are they really right with God? And I'm not talking about salvation. I'm just talking about the fact is, well, is God hearing their prayers? Is God going to answer their prayers? The devil has got them pushed down so much that they don't even believe really in, 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 in God doing anything for them. They're just glad they're saved and going to go to heaven. But I believe the army of God has to rise up on the face of the earth. And the, the army of God has to rise up in this hour, in this time and say, no, this is not where we're going. This is not what we're believing for. Amen? So he says here, so then faith is a key issue here. And the faith is not like you mustered it up. It's that what you believe. Verse 3 says, for we who believe do enter that rest. As he said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my, my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundations of the world. So there was already it made available for us, but they did enter it. For he had spoken in a certain place on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in that place, they shall not enter my rest. There, since therefore it remains that some must enter it, those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. And he designates a certain day, saying in David, <clears throat> saying in David, today, after such a long time has been said, today if you will hear his voice and not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had not given them rest, then they would not afterwards have spoken of another day. Therefore, there remains a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest, and for him who also ceases from his works, as God did from his. The example I, that hits me in this is Joshua. Joshua was a great man of God, okay? Uh, you, you know, you've got the book of Joshua, and you, you know he was there with Moses. He was there with Moses for 40 years in the wilderness. He was, he was Moses' right-hand man. He was a man of war. So the middle, minute they're going to go enter into the promised land, the minute they're going to go into and, and get it, he's thinking in his mind war, conquer, defeat, battle strategy. And the first battle strategy God gives him is go walk around the city of Jericho for six days and say nothing. Right? So Joshua had, a, had a, a decision right there to make. And this is where I'm trying to show you. Entering into his rest meant, okay, guys, <clears throat> I know what God said. He said, go walk around the city. We're going to walk around for seven days or six days. And don't say anything. Everybody get ready. Get ready for battle. And we're just going to walk around. Now, what do you think went through Joshua's mind? Yes, he's going along. They're going to say, 
Joshua's lost his mind. Joshua's thinking, we should be attacking the city. Look, I think there's a soft spot in the wall right there. You know, I think we could get it. And they're just walking around the city, and he's just got to be, I mean, the wrestle in, the, in his mind going on, because he should have, thinking war, or, or, had Joshua understood how to enter into the rest of God, that God said, walk around the city, so he's just going to walk around the city. So he just got them all out, said, guys, it's going to be an easy day. Come on, get, get your armor on, get everything on, make sure your swords are sharp. But we're just walking around the city today. That's what God said, so let's do it. It's going to be okay. The trial was, was he going to do it in joy? Or was he going to go around and say, this is the dumbest plan I've ever seen in my life. I can't believe it. I'm just walking around the city here, and this is stupid. And my God, everybody's going to think I'm an idiot. And this is nobody who's going to follow me to battle. We really got to go do battle. God, do you know what you're doing? I mean, why have you done this? And this is so stupid. Just walk around the city, and then we're going to do this for six days. I mean, my God, nobody's going to follow me after the sixth day. But that's how a lot of us Christians are walking. But the Titus effect will take you out of it. You've got to come back Sunday to hear it. Because <clears throat> that's not right. You follow what I'm saying to us, church? We're walking around murmuring and griping and complaining. All these thoughts are going to our head. It's wearying us, making us tired. And we're not walking in the rest or the grace of God that he has for us because we're over here thinking God should have a different battle plan. Woo-hoo. Verse 11 says, therefore, let us be diligent to enter the rest. So we should be striving to enter to this place of rest. Lysina would fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul, the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to his eyes of him to whom we must give account. Isn't that funny that we always think we're hiding something from God? Yeah, yeah. Hello, Lord. Everything's good. Yeah. (laughs) Fine, perfect, I love you. Yeah, enjoy. He's like, you're not in joy. I know what you're thinking. You're just smiling, putting on a good front. Because inside your head, you're crazy. And he knows it. So look at this. Seeing then we have a great high priest, whoo, thank you, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, I am so glad we have a high priest who doesn't just tell me what I should do, but he didn't do it. Right? We got a high priest that was tempted. When Jesus, what do you think he was thought to trying to attack him when when the Pharisees are, 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 are spitting on him and doing all the things to him and everything before he goes to the cross. He was tempted just like we were tempted, but he didn't fall into that. He stayed in the rest. He said, I don't know, pastor. How do you stay in the rest? They beat him and took him to the cross and killed him and bones were showing and it was horrible. Well, he did because he's our great high priest and he went before us. I've said this so many times. Maybe I didn't say it so many times. Maybe I just thought it a lot. But I have never seen a picture of or a movie picture like of the life of Jesus where at the crucifixion that the people were rejoicing. Never seen that. Everybody's weeping distraught that Jesus is on the cross. 
But if the revelation was understood that that trial of affliction that he went through bought salvation for everybody and that his, he was the Lamb of God, they really understood at that moment and, hit, and that he was delivering all of mankind on the cross, everybody would have been woo-hoo-hoo, jumping and dancing. He did it, he did it, he did it, he did it. But see, we looked at it as a defeat. Because we say, how could that be victory? We look at the cross and say, in our natural minds, and say, how could that be victory? That was defeat. The devil killed him. Rotten Pharisees. Right? Terrible, stinking religious spirit. But yet it was victory. It was our victory. That trial was our, was our victory. It was his victory and our victory. Well, what if every trial that you come into in, in this world could be your victory? What if every pressure that this stinking, rotten world throws at you could actually be turned to your victory? And you look at it and say, no, 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 victory looks like cake and balloons. Nice cream. Not stretching. <laughs> It's like I just told you all about the freeze. I have learned something about, at least here, about freezing. Leave the water on. You do better. Because every pipe I drained or thought I drained is busted. And every one I left on did not break. Now, how is that possible? My brain says, get the water out. You're okay. But apparently I didn't get all the water out. I'll never do it again. I learned through a trial what to do, and I'm a bigger man for it. But we count all the other trials. We're spending too much time trying to rebuke them and make them go away when we should be saying, Lord, I want to enter your rest. I'm going to walk right through the middle of this thing. We're just, you're just going to bring victory about this whole thing because I'm going to walk in the Titus effect and the power of your grace, and I want to see victory just wah. And I want to come out on the other end of it bigger and stronger, just like Jesus did on the cross. He set the example for us. But our human brains can't take it. We say that's not victory. But we know reading the scriptures, looking back, that was the victory. You say, well, Pastor, it was really Resurrection Sunday. I mean, I think you're splitting hairs to just keep your doctrine of being out of rest. Because the truth of the matter, Jesus was a sacrificial lamb. He was the lamb of God. His blood was poured out that day on the cross that went to heaven and was poured out on the mercy seat. Resurrection, yes, came three days later and empowering the spirit and bringing forth and knocking everybody out of their graves and going and doing all that. Yes, but that day on the cross was victory. So look at the very last verse here. Let us therefore, I'm reading verse 16, Hebrews 4, 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Now, a couple of things I want to show you here. First is, we usually have a definition of grace, meaning it's God covering up our mistakes or God making up for our weakness or however you want to look at it. But I'm just going to say, God covering up our mistakes. That's what grace. Oh, God, I need grace because I keep making mistakes. But it says right here that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Grace to help. That means grace is a power. Grace is a force. 
Grace is something working to bring about Christ in us and abound within us. What did, what did James say? He says, you're going you're gonna to count it all joy, right? And then what's going to happen? That you may, at, well, let's just read it. Y'all are looking at me. Just look at James 1.3. Knowing that the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith produces patience, which means endurance. But let patience have its perfect worth that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, lacking nothing sounds like victory. But how did you get to lacking nothing? Through enduring through the trial, letting grace have its perfect work within you to bring you to that place of lacking nothing. But you had to go through the trial to get to the lacking of nothing. And we want the lacking of nothing without having to go through the trial. Which makes total sense to me. Honestly, makes total sense to me. I wish it was just stir the pot and, you know, gold appear. I wish just go out and gather the eggs and they were golden eggs. Right? Lacking nothing. I wish it was like that. I wish it was easy. Like I said, I wish I had the magic pixie dust or the bottle of water, whole water. I could just throw it and everybody got whew, healed, set free, delivered. Just no problems. They're mad at the husband and wife. Right? Just go, they're on there. oh, I love you so much. Right? I mean, that would just be the coolest thing in the world. You know, wouldn't it? People just lining up outside, I just throwing water and everybody. <laughs> but we've missed something. We've missed something in our charismatic doctrine. And what we've missed is grace is a force, not just something that covers up mistakes, but grace is a force that works within your life that brings you to that place of rest, that brings you to that place of lacking nothing. But it takes you cooperating with the Spirit of God, not telling the Spirit of God what to do. Amen? That's what it takes. Now let me show you another scripture. Oh, wait, I wasn't through with that. I have a whole bunch of things just written down in my Bible. Can't see it until I put my glasses on. It says here, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So I looked up that word. What, is it, what does it mean to help? And you know what it means? To help. At first, it looks like nothing important. And then so I got to digging into the root of the word, of what the root of the word means. And you know what it means? <clears throat> and I started to get a video and show it to you tonight, but then I, I got distracted and didn't do it. But have y'all ever seen, okay, like most of y'all have probably been around a boat. And if you go to the boat and you, you, you're going to go up to the dock and you get out, there's usually a, a rope and you take the rope and you tie it off to the little boat cleat, right? Why? So the boat don't float off, right? But have you ever seen the pictures of like those big, huge, huge boats, you know, like tankers and, you know, huge ships, and they got those ropes about this big around, right? They still tie it off. Do you know that they don't have like, they don't have like a special something. They still tie them off, and they're huge. And then, then the, the I don't even know what you'd call it because it's definitely not a boat cleat, that big round apparatus that they tie off those big ones. You, you know what that word is, Scotty? But you know what I'm saying? Those ropes are huge, right? They're not just like a little... 
you know, piece of mule tape, right? Because this thing's a big boat, and so it's got a big rope. And they load those things down, and they, those big, you know, they're, they're cut out like a, like a thimble-looking thing on there. And then they tell them, well, you know that thing's not just screwed to the dock, right? They didn't just bring them in and get some torque screws and go, and screwed it down, because they're holding this huge ship. Now, isn't it amazing that even from the smallest little John boat, you got a rope. It may just be one on the front of it that you tie off to the boat cleat on the dock. To this huge ship, you're still tying it off because the boat will float off. They got to keep it there secured to where it's supposed to be. That's what that word help means. It means a rope for tying off shipping vessels. The root of it is tying it, holding it, securing it, helping it. So that's what grace is. It says finding grace to help in a time of need. So grace comes in and shores you up, ties you to Jesus, right? And no matter what size (laughs) shipping vessel you are, I guess you could say, you can to wrap it. He's got it. He's got the. He's got the boat tie for you. I want to look up. I meant to look that up. What that big thing's called? But you know they wrap those big ropes. And I don't even. I got to thinking about this. I don't know. Maybe maybe somebody can tell me. And because I want to go ahead and research this. How do they? How do they? Like you know, like even if you got a fairly big boat. You still can, a man can get on there and pull it over, but what do they do with those big ones? I mean, how did they suck that rope around that spindle-looking thing? They got to slide dial it over so it's already the right length? There you go. So then that eyelet slid over that big deal. That's the word help. That's what it means. In other words, Jesus has got you what? I believe he says he's the anchor to our soul. Hope's the anchor to our soul. So he says, that's what I'm trying to get you. I'm trying to get you to understand. Quit floating off. When a trial's coming, quit trying to push away from the dock. Or let's just say a storm's coming and you're kind of rocking. Don't worry. The help is the rope that's got you fastened down and you're not going to go flying off the dock. That's what grace will do for you. The power of grace working within your life. Bring about everything that's needed. So now let me give you one more scripture. Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5. Verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith unto this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So here again is the same thing. That Paul is saying here, that by faith we're into grace, which we stand in. And then verse 3 says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance of character and character hope. But see, we don't want to walk to the tribulation. But the tribulation, it says here, Paul says we glory in tribulations. James said we take joy, but he's saying we glory in it. Knowing that the tribulation produces perseverance, which is the same word that James used, meaning endurance, 
And it's also translated patience. And then perseverance is going to produce character. You're going to grow. You're going to get stronger. And then that produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who, has give, who was given to us. There's just things that I, I come across that just bless me about the power of God. And my wife and I, we like to watch like the old, like Agatha Christie murder mysteries and try to figure out who did it. And we sit there and we talk. Who did it? You think they did it? They look kind of suspicious. Well, I don't know, but they're kind of focusing attention on them. And maybe that's not really the one because that's too obvious. You know? And so we love to just sit there and mess with this. And so we've been watching the old, uh, I say they're old. I don't know what, the, what year they were. The, the BBC, Agatha Christie's uh, uh, Hercule Poirot, you know. Okay, so this character who plays Hercule Poirot, and I cannot, I don't, I'm going to mess up his name, but it's David, and I don't know how, does anybody know how you say the man's name? It's like Sukkot or something of this nature. It's a little strange. So I just was interested in the guy, and so I started looking him up. In 1986, this man, he was raised in a non-religious family. His father was a Lithuanian Jew. And he was raised in a non-religious family. And in 1986, he picked up a Bible and he read Romans chapter 8 and got radically saved and gave his life to Jesus. Today, he's the vice president of American Bible Society. And he's, in fact, he just loves the Word of God and he loves the, everything about the Word. And he just so excited about being saved and as a Christian, for 27 years, he's wanted to do his own translation, not his own translation, but his own reading of the Bible. And so he's now coming out with his own reading where he's the voice reading uh, the Bible. My point is, is here's this person who's an actor, and you know, I don't know what his, his life was like or whatever, but raised in a non-religious family, but he just picks up the word one night, read Romans 8, oh, the grace of God comes upon him and he gives his life to Christ so much dedicated that, you know, to the word of God that he's on the American Bible Society, making sure Bibles go out everywhere and now doing this Bible reading. That you could just take a person right here and then he just, just put them over there. And as I was reading that I, and, and I was reading his life and I was just, I, 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 Laura, she was getting ready to, you know, uh, she was in the other room and I was hollering at her and I said, hey, oh, you can't believe what I found out, you know, and I was so excited because those things and things just bless me. And it was like the Holy Spirit just said to me, that's what I want to do with everybody. But they don't by faith enter into my rest. They don't by faith surrender their hearts to me. That's what I want to do with everybody just radically change their life. Read Romans chapter 8 and you get saved. I love it. I love it. And I believe, I still am saying, God is on the move. He's on the move. And I want to be right in the middle of it. And I don't know what the, you know, I don't know, like I said, I don't know what God is doing. I mean, I don't know what God's going to do, but I know what he's asking us to do is to grow and expand in him so that we can be the army of God, so that we can be strong through every... we already been through that tribulation. We already conquered that. Ah, yeah, you got no problems. Come on, man, we already did that. 
Amen? And we're going to get there by the grace of God. So be encouraged. Y'all are amazing people. God's doing an amazing thing. And the days ahead are going to be better than the ones in the past, which that's just kind of like an understatement because the ones in the past ain't been that good. (laughs) But God's going to bless you. Things are going to be good. Amen? Amen. Well, praise God. Put your Bibles up and let's stand up. I want to pray over you, but I also want you just to have a thankful heart right now of what Jesus did for us. Because he went to the cross and he poured his heart out, poured his life out on the cross so that we could walk in grace. We could walk in this amazing salvation that he's bought for us. So if you're out there listening and watching tonight and you just came across this broadcast and, and you know, something's just stirring in your heart and maybe you're, you're feeling that pull of the, of the spirit of God upon you. Now's the time to turn your heart to Jesus. His grace is there for you. He loves you. He already paid the price for you. All you've got to do is accept it. So right there in your home, wherever you are, you could just call out to Jesus and he'll come right there and he'll save you and change you. And just like the message and the testimony of, of that man, I told it can happen to you. You just got to open up your heart. And so I want to pray over you and, and bless you tonight. Father, I just declare, Lord, as we, as we leave this service, we don't leave your presence. But I thank you for the power of God in our lives. I thank you, Jesus, you know as our great high priest, you already know what, we've been, what, you, what there is tempting us on this earth and what trials there are here on this earth. And you already passed them all. You already accomplished and had victory over it all. So, Lord, I just declare that we're going to enter into your rest. We're going to walk in your grace. We're going to see you abound and abound and abound and abound in our lives. And, Lord, I I just praise you for it. I thank you that the army of God is beginning to rise up and stir over the face of this land. And that, Lord, you're going to bring about so many great things because you're going to have so many people to work with. And, Lord, I just praise you for it. I thank you for it. I ask you to bless these people tonight. Bless their their offerings, bless their giving, bless their jobs, bless their relationships, bless their families, Lord. Just have your good hand upon them all. And Lord, we thank you for it and we praise you for it, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. God bless you.